Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I try to stand and start to fall All those lonely roads that I have traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground when the friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now There was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment of where I've been and where I'm going Even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it There was Jesus For this man who needs amazing kind of grace Forgiveness at a price I couldn't pay I'm not perfect, so I thank God every day. There was Jesus. There was Jesus. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm when I didn't know it, I couldn't see it. There was Jesus on the mountain, in the valleys. There was Jesus in the shadows of the alleys. There was Jesus in the fire and in the flood. There was Jesus always is and always was. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion. We're so glad that you've joined us in person as well as online this morning. I invite you at this time to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ.
Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell of all His wonderful acts. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Amen. Let's sing praises to Him this morning. say you are you do what you say you'll do you'll be who you've always been to us Jesus our hope our hope is in you darkest day remains Jesus Oh, this we know This we know We will see the enemy run This we know We will see the victory come We hold on to every promise you ever made Jesus, you Be 
see the victory come we hold on to every promise you ever made jesus you are unfailing jesus you are unfailing amen so this next song i'm actually gonna have a start at the chorus just to change it up for all of us. This song is actually a little bit newer of a song. Um, we've done it a couple of little times, but not the whole thing ever. So let's go ahead and introduce the chorus so that you guys can sing along with us. Oh, blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the son of suffering. Oh, the perfect son of God in all his innocence. He walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is, he's acquainted with a grief, the man of sorrow, son of suffering. Oh, blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds, oh, praise the one. Who would reach for me? Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering. Some imagine you are distant and removed, but you chased us down in merciful pursuit. The sin you were graced, and the broken you embraced, and in the end the proof is in your wounds. And in the end the proof is in your wounds. Oh, blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who a God who bleeds, oh praise the one who would reach for me, hallelujah to the son of suffering. Your cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus. Glory to God in heaven, your blood still seeking, your love still reaching, all praise, King Jesus. Glory to God in heaven, your cross. My freedom, your stripes, 
my healing all praise King Jesus glory to God in heaven your blood still speaking your love still reaching all praise King Jesus glory to God in There's a God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds, oh praise the one who would reach for me, hallelujah to the son of suffering. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Fusion family. Good morning, good morning. Hey, at this time, I'd like to invite the kiddos to uh, make their way over to that door as uh, we're going to bless them as they head down for children's worship, Sunday school. And uh, as, as normally, just for those, yeah, we, we love to bless our kids. As they're heading that way, just a couple of quick announcements. Um, faith friends. I know it's been summer, but we're, we're going to be kicking off Faith Friends again. If you don't know what that is, Faith Friends is where we match adults with a, a child, and you get to just send little messages and kind of be a special friend throughout the school year. And so just look for that coming up. Tiny Theologians, there's some little Bible studies. They're in that back corner. Make sure you just take advantage of those resources. Kiddos, you guys ready? You're ready. All right, adults, you ready? We're ready. All right, let's say this. The Lord be with you. All right. There's some enthusiasm there, I can tell. You guys have a wonderful time. I think they're excited for school to start, maybe. No reaction. All right. Also, another, another announcement. Next week is our potluck to kind of kick off the fall season here at Fusion. So uh, we'll be meeting after the service in the pavilion. Again, we got uh, some brisket, some pulled pork. It's going to be a phenomenal meal. Pray for good weather. Be a phenomenal time to be together as God's people. Um, but with that, let's, uh, let's enter a time of prayer. And uh, to do that, we're going to use the words from Psalm 51. Let's go to our Lord together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Lord God, we, we praise you and, and we thank you for who you are. We've, we've just sang songs about the work of Jesus Christ. We, we just sang songs about your, your wonder and your greatness and your might and your power and your love. And Lord, as we praise, and praise you and we sing these songs, Lord, the words of the psalmist cut to our hearts because, Lord, we, we come before you and we confess our sins as well. 
Lord, we come before you and we confess that, that we have failed you according to the ways you've, you've called us to live. Lord, each and every day, we fail to live according to your law. We fail to live in a way that brings honor to you, that, that shows the love that you command and that, that is, is worked within us by your spirit. Lord, we, we fail to love you. And Lord, we fail to love our neighbor as ourself as you've commanded. Lord, we've, we've failed to see the image of God in the other. And Lord, we confess that as sin. As our, own, as our own brokenness. We confess the, the thoughts that have gone through our minds this past week. Thoughts that, that maybe feed off preconceived notions or, or, or trying to categorize people in a certain way and, or a certain camp. And Lord, we, we confess that before you. And Lord, as we, as we confess not only our actions, not only our thoughts, not only the things that we did do, but Lord, we confess the things we failed to do, Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that we just sang about. Lord, Lord Jesus, that you came into this world and you pursued us in love because, Lord, there was no way for us to rescue or save ourselves. Lord Jesus, you stepped into this earth and you lived a life. You lived among us. And, Lord, that life led you to the cross. You gave of your life out of love. And in that sacrifice, Lord, you paid the penalty for what we deserved. And, Lord, then you rose again. You conquered death. We thank you for this good news of the gospel. We thank you for what that means for each of our lives not only for eternity, but Lord, for this moment that the God of heaven and earth dwells among us and lives in us by the power of the Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this good news. That Lord, we stand and we come before you not as condemned, but as forgiven and free. We thank you so much, Lord, for this good gift, a gift we're gonna celebrate around this table in a few moments. And Lord, because of that, because of your love, we, we thank you for the promise that, that you continue to come to us, that you continue to meet us in our times of need. Lord, we look at our world, we look at the wars that continue to rage overseas, we continue to, to watch the conflict and the discord and the, and, the, and the vitriol and the hatred, even in our own nation, between people. Lord, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. May your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we look at our own situations here in West Michigan, here in our church community, in our families. And Lord, we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. For those, Lord, who are, who are sick, there's some who are awaiting surgery this coming week, even tomorrow. We pray, God, for your, your healing hand to guide surgeons' hands to bring healing and restoration. We pray for your spirit to come alongside these that we love, that they would experience your presence in real and powerful ways, that they'd experience a peace that surpasses understanding. We pray for those, Lord, who are, who are nearing the, the end of that journey of life. And Lord, that you'd bring comfort and assurance of salvation that is found in Christ alone. We pray for those, Lord, who continue to walk that journey of grief and, and that void in their lives of someone that they loved who's no longer with. Lord, may you meet them in that time of need. And as we pray for these needs, Lord, may we be your hands and feet. May we, as your church, come alongside those that we love. 
to offer glimpses of your presence in tangible ways. And Lord, whether that's just through a hug or a phone call or a text, maybe, Lord, that's through dropping off a meal or sending a card, Lord, spur us in how we can love one another well. Lord, as the ministry year approaches, Lord, may you spur within us a a desire to serve one another and call us into those ministries, Lord, that, that we, you've uniquely equipped and gifted us toward and for. And Lord, on this day, on this, on this Sabbath day, this Lord's day, this Sunday morning, Lord, we, we pray for your word that is preached throughout our campus. We, we thank you for three worshiping communities, one campus, Lord, that you call us to be one in mission and heart. And Lord, as we hear from your word, may you continue to convict, may you continue to to challenge, may you continue to comfort us in the ways that we need, Lord, in this day. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. We thank you for the truth that you give to us in your word. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And God's people say it together, amen, amen. I always, whenever I do the congregational prayer and I've already said good morning, I'm like, what do I say now? Because I always say good morning. So maybe I'll say it again. Good morning. Good morning. I'm, I'm Pastor JB. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, I would love that opportunity to just connect. And really, um, for the last year or so, but even moving forward, we're really looking at how do, we, how do we connect together? How do we learn one another's names? How do we share experiences? How do we share life together? And Anyway, that's all coming, but uh, this, this day, on this day, we're nearing the end of the summer. And uh, for some, they're starting school tomorrow. Yay! Um, sad. Some are starting in a week or so, and uh, we look forward to the, the fall season that's coming upon us. But I don't know about you, have you, have you enjoyed the summer series, kind of looking at the wisdom literature? It's kind of a setup, like, who's going to say, no, that was horrible, why did you do that? Yeah, I, I, I know I've enjoyed the summer series, Everyday Wisdom, and uh, just looking at the wisdom literature in the Bible, and we're like, we're kind of rounding third base, and uh, this week and next week are kind of the last two weeks. Last week, we talked about disordered desires. This week, we're looking at kind of this idea of temptation and what does that mean? It's all about the human heart, and we're going to kind of end the series next week before Labor Day. Um, but this morning, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 7 uh, to kind of help us understand temptation this morning. Now, a couple of things to note, uh, just a couple of reminders. First, remember the design of the book of Proverbs. Uh, of, of all weeks, I forgot to put the Bible Project poster. You're like, really? Every week we see that, but I didn't put it up there. But the design of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9, contains 10 speeches uh, written from the perspective of a father writing to a son. There's 10 of these speeches, and then kind of interlaced between those 10 speeches, there's these four poems of Lady Wisdom offering this wisdom. Well, chapter 7, uh, chapter 8 and 9 are kind of the last two poems of Lady Wisdom. Chapter 7 is the 10th and final speech of a father to his son. And, and, and that influences the perspective and the characters and the topic of what's discussed. What you'll notice as we read chapter 7 of the book of Proverbs is that it's a father who, who creates this kind of imaginary scenario to help share wisdom about the dangers of one specific but very real temptation, and that is adultery. Okay, so just a heads up, that's, gonna, that's what the father is talking to the son. This is not meant nor should it be used to kind of generalize or stereotype or typecast certain groups of people. So just 
know that. Instead, what we're going to do is kind of think of the broader applications. Uh, this is a specific scenario, but it helps us more deeply understand temptation, okay? And how temptation works on the human heart in a broader sense. And how we're going to go after that is we're going we're gonna to draw some additional text to kind of come alongside Proverbs 7 to kind of broaden the context and application. Does that make sense? I just wanted to give that kind of Heads up as we enter into the scripture this morning, which is Proverbs 7. We're going to read selections of uh, this chapter. Uh, if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we honor God as he speaks to us once again. Proverbs 7, starting at verse 1. Again, written from a father to a son. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. And here's the scenario, chapter, verse six. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. And then the next 10 verses, he kind of goes into great detail, and we're just going to skip over that for now. We'll kind of touch on that in a little bit. Picking up verse 21. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, how, how your word just enters into the messiness of life. And we pray, God, that, that as we read and we study your word this morning, God, that, that, that you would allow your word and your scriptures to act like a mirror for us so that we might look into our own lives and into our own hearts and that your spirit, Lord, would cut and convict where we need to be convicted of, Lord, that your spirit would, would comfort in those ways that we need to hear a word of comfort this morning so that, Lord, in all of these things, we'd hear from you. And we pray all these things in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. I don't know if you remember this, um, but it, it seems like in, in the 1990s, here I go, pastor talking about the 90s again, yeah, in the 1990s, which is when I was growing up, and, but it's it still kind of spilled over in today, uh, there was this, this real concern that there would be like, um, how do I put this, uh, a robot apocalypse, anyone? You can chuckle at that, yeah. 
uh, it, it seemed like there was this real big concern that someday robots would kind of become like, art, have artificial intelligence and kind of take over the world. Movies like Terminator uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, I don't know, they're, they're still going today, or The Matrix, right? There was this real concern and fear that technology would advance to the point where machines or robots would gain artificial intelligence, rebel against the human race, and, and maybe some of you are like, no, that's still coming, Pastor, right? Maybe some of you are still worried about that and uh, you're suspicious of things like Roomba vacuums, you know, like, no, that's step one, man. I'm not getting a Roomba vacuum. I'll vacuum my own house. Thank you very much. Or like robot dogs. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, they're, they're a little, fr- anyway. Now, now I, I kind of say that to kind of enter into that, uh, that I don't know how close we are to sentient machines, you know, taking over the world, but, but we do see is that as technology has advanced, there's been other concerns, right? Maybe not a Terminator, um, but, but, but one of the big things with, with technology, and this has been true, um, and technology has only advanced this, but, but since the Cold War, uh, you know, remember the Cold War, and, and the Russians have been masters in the art of deception, uh, a term that they coined back then was disinformatia. Uh, I'm probably saying that totally wrong. But here was the strategy. And tell me if this sounds familiar. The strategy was simple. Flood the world with lies, half-truths, propaganda, and create confusion, distrust, and chaos among your enemy. Now, does any of that sound familiar? I'm not saying who it is. I think the, the, whoever the culprit is, it's wide and vast. But if you can, if you can spread lies and half-truths and propaganda, creating distrust, chaos, and confusion, we see how that weakens a nation, weakens society. Does this sound familiar? Yeah? And what we've seen is that the digital world and the advancement of technology, it's only made that all the easier, right? With, with technology and social media, now a lie can, can be planted and spread to the masses in no moment's time. In fact, I was, I was reading an article recently and, um, and, and the, the author was talking about new artificial intelligence systems that are being developed that can actually generate untrue essays, stories, uh, or, or, you know, and controversies. And, and this is artificial intelligence that can just create false stories with very little input. That's terrifying, right? Um, all that's to say is in our advancement of the digital world and technology and social media, it's become easier and easier not only to spread a lie, but it's also become easier and easier to believe a lie. Do we see it? From fake news stories, accusations, false accusations, internet phone scams, it seems that our digital landscape has made it easier than ever to believe or fall for a lie or deception or temptation. You see, we read Proverbs 7, and it's this elaborate scenario of a young youth, youthful, foolish man being lured in by a strange woman. Uh, and, and, and we can read that and be like, okay, that's a very specific thing. And, you know, is that contextual? That kind of, you know, does that, you know, and we can kind of dismiss it maybe. Like, that's not really where I'm at in my personal experience. But here's the thing. Proverbs 7 is talking about adultery or lust, and, and that's one, but it's only one of countless other temptations 
that the enemy uses and has at his disposal. So here's what we want to do. We want to kind of broaden our context and application this morning. Proverbs 7 lays out one scenario, but human experience reminds us that there's no limit to the devil's schemes. In fact, Scripture gives us multiple examples and stories of people being tempted in different ways, the first of which being from Genesis chapter 3, right? The, the, The kind of the first testimony account of temptation and falling into sin, Genesis chapter 3. And, and we're going to kind of use Genesis 3 as kind of that parallel text to kind of broaden and expand our application of temptation in our lives. And what we see are there's some parallels in the stories, specifically the parallels between the description and strategy of each of the story's tempters, right? There's the woman, the strange woman in, chap- in Proverbs chapter 7, and then there's the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Three. Both are described as crafty, deceptive. They both have a way with words. Uh, beyond Genesis 3, the enemy or we, is described in Scripture as uh, Satan or the devil. These are some of the descriptions of the enemy, uh, particularly in the New Testament, described as a murderer, a thief, a liar, a deceiver, an accuser, and even as a lion in search for his next victim to devour. John 8, 10, 1 Peter 5, Ephesians 6, if you're looking for the references. Now, for our purposes this morning, I think it'll be helpful to consider Proverbs 7 more in kind of the broader allegorical sense than simply considering a specific scenario of adultery. And so we're going to use Genesis 3 as kind of this companion text to help draw out some of these ideas of what temptation looks like in our own experience. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So we're broadening the application of our text. Now, before we go any further, I want to just give credit where credit is due. A lot of, not only this Sunday, but last Sunday, was re- a lot of the ideas here were kind of drawn from a book that was put out a couple years ago, Live No Lies, uh, by John Mark Comer, who used to serve uh, a church in Portland, Oregon. And some of this was in the email this past week. But in his latest book, he kind of develops this working theory of the book. It was based on a sermon series from 2018. Here's the core thesis of the book at the bottom of the screen. Uh, It's written in the preface, but he comes back to it in page 57. Here it is again. He writes, the devil's primary stratagem in to, to... I think there's a typo there. To drive the soul and society into ruin is deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires which are normalized in a sinful society. Deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. That's going to kind of be our framework for this morning, just kind of let you process that. That'll come back up on the screen. But let's watch how this strategy plays out in Proverbs 7 and Genesis 3. Let's begin with deceptive ideas. First, deceptive ideas in Proverbs chapter 7. Notice how Proverbs 7 opens. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Uh, This father continues to reference commands and teaching and wisdom to make these things part of you, right? He encourages his son to make wisdom and insight his close companion, arguing that they will keep you from the adulterous woman. Again, expand that to all forms of temptation and other schemes of the devil. Fast forward to 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 verse 21, where he kind of summarizes what happens in this scenario that he lays out. He writes this, With persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. 
Did you catch what, what the Proverbs is saying in this summary? That, that the primary tool of this woman being used to seduce this young, youthful fool is not the clothing she's wearing, it's not um, her sexuality, it's not her perfumes or all these descriptions that she uses that we'll get to. It was her words. Because at the end of the day, it was words that allowed him to convince himself to step into her home. It was her words. Let's go to deceptive ideas in Genesis 3. We see the same thing. In Genesis 3, the serpent, notice, does not come at Eve in the garden with a legion of demonic forces. The serpent doesn't come after Eve in the garden with natural disasters or with ancient weapons of war. He comes at Eve in verse 1 with an idea, a deceptive idea. He says this, did God really say, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? First notice a couple things. The first thing that the, the, the serpent does is, is calls into question the words of God. That's a common strategy. Did God really say? <laughs> and then notice something else. That where he, con where he continues on is it's, it's, it's a lie, but it's not outlandish, right? It, it's not like totally out of, out of, out, out of left field. It, it's a half-truth. It's, it's a partial truth. Like, well, God did say something about not eating from a tree, but he kind of twists it and says, did, you must not eat from any tree. Now, Eve responds in verse 2. The woman says to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, kind of correcting the half-truth, but God did say we must not eat from the fruit that is in the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, the serpent now at this point has Eve kind of wondering, and he's kind of opened her up to suggestion, and now comes the other lie, the direct lie. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's a lie, and behind the lie, there's this deceptive idea. What's the idea? The deceptive idea is, is calling God's goodness and intentions into question. In other words, what, what the serpent is saying is, you know, God's holding out on you. God, God doesn't have your good in mind. God just doesn't want you to be like him. And if you eat this from this tree, you're going to become like God and you're going to have and know what he knows. He's calling God's goodness into question. Deceptive ideas. Let's talk a little bit about deceptive ideas and particularly the enemy's lies. A couple things to note about the enemy's lies. The first is this. This is the, the, the devil's primary weapon. The enemy's primary battleground, you know, like sometimes um, it kind of, it you know, we talk, we talk about spiritual warfare and our minds go to a certain place, but the primary battlefield or battleground uh, in spiritual warfare is right here. It's between your ears, right? It's the mind. It's the mind. In Jesus' most expansive teaching on the enemy, John 8, what is, what is he talking about? He's a liar and he's a deceiver and he's a, Right? An idea, particularly a distorted idea, I think what we see today is more powerful than most weapons. Because if, if, if the enemy can get us and people to believe an, a lie, that can cause more chaos and destruction, not only in, in an individual's life, but in, in a society's life. Do we see that right now? Right? The primary weapon. 
The second thing is, is lies are the opposite of truth, kind of stating the obvious. The proverb emphasizes wisdom that God's commands stand in contrast to the seductive words of this strange woman. Lies are the opposite of truth. The, the third thing, the enemy's lies are convincing. The best lies are convincing. They're believable. They're not so outlandish or out of left field that no one in their right mind would believe it, right? Now here's the thing. Once, once, you, once you convince someone of a lie and once they begin to trust you, well, now all of a sudden come the outlandish lies. Once the enemy has gained a person's trust, the lies become more outlandish. Again, we need to recognize that the enemy is really good at deception. And, and, and social media, the digital age, has just amplified that in our current climate. That lies are spread and, you know, it just causes all this destruction. Some examples of the enemy's lies. The enemy wants us to question three primary things, what we know about God, what we know about humanity, and what we know about how to live in this world. Question, the enemy will want you to question God. God doesn't love you. That's a lie from the pit of hell, right? You don't matter. That is a lie that people believe. How about a, a lie about, about humanity? Life's all random, right? That you're, you're all here just for an, because you're, it's an accident. And if it, everything's random and everything's just an accident, what, what does really morality actually mean? Or life's just about you? Or, 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 or how about this lie, that, that God hates those people? Those are all lies of the enemy. But do you see the danger if people start believing these lies and how destructive and chaotic it can be? Deceptive, deceptive ideas. Second, when we touched on this last week, uh, deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires, right? They play to our disordered desires. We lean into this last week, but notice the crafty strategy. The lies the, de the devil feeds play into our disordered desires. They're not, uh, they're not around things that we're neutral on, right? The enemy does not waste his time trying to convince you of something destructive that you have no interest or desire in doing, Right? Like, let's say that, that you can't stand cake. I don't know who doesn't like cake, but anyway, just an example. But the enemy's not going to tempt you with cake if you're like, oh, I hate cake, and like, this is a really unhealthy, it's like, no, no, no. He's going to play to the things that, 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 work, in, that are, work on those deep and longings and those desires, that, those deep tempta temptations of the heart. That is the arena in which these, disorder, these deceptive ideas work according to our disordered desires. Let's talk about the text, Proverbs 7. Disordered desires in Proverbs 7. Here in Proverbs 7, this is kind of the section that we didn't read together, but let me just kind of summarize. We see the adulterous woman playing to all kinds of desires of this young man. She's wearing clothing that sparks a desire. Verse 10. Verse 13, she, she grabs him and she kisses him. But then it's all these words that she speaks to him. She's stoking a variety of different desires. The desire to be wanted in verse 15. She goes on in detail describing her linens and her bed and the perfumes and all of this stuff, verses 16 and 17. And then there's this direct proposition for intimate relations in verse 18. She knows how to stoke this young man's passions and desires. Deceptive ideas playing to disordered desires. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, we see the serpent playing to different desires, right? 
Certainly we read that the, the fruit itself is, is good for food and pleasing to the eye. So the fruit itself, she's noticing it looks desirable, right? But here, here's the other, even more, we read the serpent's lies played into a disordered desire of becoming like God, also desirable for gaining wisdom. Suddenly the lie, the idea, the deceptive idea, behind you eat this, you're going to become like God, you're going to know good and evil, playing on that, oh yeah, it looks like it's good for gaining wisdom, playing to the desires of the heart. Some examples of this kind of working out, examples of deceptive ideas playing to disordered desires. Uh, I'm going to start with a fun example, okay? It's kind of been heavy. So a little fun example. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember if I shared this story, but when I was in high school, uh, part of the youth group was a leader in the youth group, and, um, you know, just on Friday, I took Emmy to Michigan's Adventure, the, uh, the you know what Michigan's Adventure is. I don't have to explain it to you. But there's, there's the, the, the roller coasters, and I think my daughter's finally passed me up on loving roller coasters uh, because she was terrified. I almost had to bribe her to go on Thunderhawk. Do you know which one I'm talking about? That's a pretty intense roller coaster. But she went, and then she wanted to go a second time, and then by, she wanted to go a third time, and I'm like, I'm sorry, this old man cannot handle a third time. Like, inner ear, dizziness, no thank you. Anyway, but I was, I was with my youth group, and we were at Great America, Six Flags Great America, Gurney, Illinois, uh, between Milwaukee and Chicago, right on the border there, and we're at Six Flags, and toward the end of the day, it's almost time to meet with our group, and, and I had gone on this bird-caged Ferris wheel. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like these three arms, and these Ferris wheels are spinning around, and I get down from there. I can't handle the spinny rides, even this birdcage thing, and my stomach is just turning, and I'm feeling nauseous. Well, in that moment, I, I, I get this idea. Here's the deceptive idea. In my mind, I'm thinking to myself, my stomach hurts. Um, it must not be from this Ferris wheel. I know what it is. I know what it is. And I convinced myself that my stomach was, was nauseous because I had not eaten any dairy that day. This is true. And, and you're like, what? The opposite. Doesn't dairy make you nauseous? No, no, I grew up in Wisconsin and I could not remember a day in my life when I hadn't had a glass of milk. Seriously, honestly. And I'm like, it must be because I skipped breakfast, I didn't have any dairy, and now my stomach is revolting because this Wisconsin boy hasn't had any dairy. That's the lie. Is that true? That's ridiculous, okay? That's ridiculous. But why was I convincing myself of this lie? It's because I had a desire. I wanted ice cream. I wanted ice cream, and that's dairy, right? That's the same thing as milk. So here I am walking back to the group. I'm already like 20 minutes late, but I've convinced myself of a lie because it fed into my desire for ice cream. And there's a whole other lesson in there, but when you're a high school student and you're walking back to your youth group a half an hour late and you're licking an ice cream cone, bad, bad, okay? Are you with me, though? Deceptive idea playing to disordered desires. Here's... Here's, here's a more serious example. Consider this, just a little self-introspective work. Consider for yourself, how, how rigorous do you fact-check stories or articles or posts that you see on social media? Now, now here's, here's what I want you to compare. How rigorous do you fact-check the ones where you're like, I don't want that to be true, I don't think that's right, versus how rigorous do you fact-check the ones you, you kind of want to be true? This is convicting to me. 
right? The, 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 the stories, I, I, we tend to be more easily believe and accept the things we want to be true and suspicious of the things we don't because those are our desires. I want that to be true, so I'm, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll believe it. This one, no, there's no way, so I'm gonna rigorously fact check to disprove that point, that article. Anyone else? Am I the only one? <laughs> Deceptive ideas playing to our disordered desires. Do you see how these things work together? Deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires that are normalized by a sinful society. Let's talk about that third one. Now here the language is not found anywhere in our text, but I think actually our text helps us fight against a a big pitfall with this one, with this kind of language. Here's the pitfall. Far far too often we, we hear that these two words, sinful society, and we as the church bemoan sin, the sins of society as something out there, right? And we all have our examples of, the, you know, our society's doing this, they're off track there, and we point our finger, right? And at the same time, here's the pitfall, we become quite comfortable with those patterns and those sins that we've normalized in our own lives, right? Those areas that seem to align with our own thinking, Here's where we pray for the scriptures to be more like a mirror. Too often the church has used the scriptures as kind of like this hammer, you know, to, to just beat people down with. No, 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 the scripture is more like, like a mirror that we look at ourselves through. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Let's look at Proverbs 7 and, and Genesis 3. Sinful society, but let's broaden it to ind- individuals friends even. Proverbs 7, it's not the society affirming or justifying this young man's actions. Instead, it's these additional lies being fed to him that work to justify and rationalize and believe that this, this action will bring fulfillment to his life. This lie that, that makes him think that he's not going to get caught, right? And the woman is feeding him these lies, but internally, it's him who's buying them hook, line, and sinker. He's the one normalizing in his own mind these behavior and these behaviors, right? These actions. He is the one who's taking these ideas, these lies, and internally working out how to rationalize, justify his sinful behavior and patterns, trying to convince himself how he's not going to get caught. And how often isn't that true in our own lives? Rationalize, justifying. We're the ones normalizing our own actions. Genesis 3. Here, society is not mentioned, but I will just mention that 100% of the world's population goes with this plan, right? (laughs) There's only one other person uh, on planet Earth in the story, and that other person, Adam, accepts the lie. Eve gives Adam the fruit. He doesn't say a word. He just sinks his teeth right in it. He He doesn't question it, seemingly does not need much convincing. He just eats the fruit, and here's the thing, it's, it's, it's not always society normalizing our sin patterns. Oftentimes it's those who are closest to us who are rationalizing and justifying or maybe they're just too afraid to say otherwise. See, I think what's helpful about Proverbs 7 and Genesis 3 is these examples prevent us from simply pointing the finger at what we see as sinful out there in society but wisely turns our hearts back at the ways that we ourselves normalize our own sinful behaviors and patterns in life. Let's look at some examples. Some examples. 
There's certainly a variety of things normalized by different parts of our broader society that we would reject. Our, our, our society as a whole has normalized violence and there's an obsession with violence. Like we hear about violence and it's like, yeah, okay. Like it's kind of concerning that it doesn't disturb us more. Our sin as a whole has just normalized the objectification of other human beings, sexualizing everything, trying to sell a burger. And what that does is it, 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 it has us seeing other people as a means to our own end, pleasure, if you will. In our, in our society, we, we've normalized and justified materialism and greed. Think of this phrase, it's just business. It's just business. Don't take it personal. Now, I'm not a businessman, so I, I recognize that. But to me, that means i am just done something really horrible, but it's just business. Like we're justifying lack of character because it's, I don't know. That seems off to me. Or just this worship of self that everything's about us. These are some of the things that we've normalized in our society. What about friends and family circles? Within friend groups or within family systems, certain destructive patterns have become normalized. In some families, tragically, abusive patterns have become normalized, like that's just how it is. We need to reject that. That is sinful. In other friend groups or family systems, it's avoidance, right? Well, we just don't talk about those things. And you just, you do you, we're just, and maybe we're missing opportunity for serious conversation. I don't know. Or in individuals' lives. There's all the games we play in our own minds to justify unhealthy behaviors and patterns or diminish, oh, this is just things that I'm thinking about. It really doesn't have an impact. Well, does it? Or are we just justifying and normalizing the things that we think about other people or other situations? Are you with me? Deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires normalized maybe in sinners. Here's what's clear. What's quite clear in both our texts, Proverbs 7 and Genesis 3, is that this path of temptation, this strategy of the enemy, deceptive ideas playing to disordered desires, normalized by a sinful society, it leads right where the enemy longs to bring all of humanity, and that's death and destruction. That is the enemy's scheme to seek, to kill, to steal, to destroy. James chapter 1 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after their desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Desire, sin, death. That's the path. That's where the enemy is trying to lead all of us. Jesus in John ch chapter 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy's goal, he is a murderer. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. And his goal is to lead each and every one of us toward death and destruction. And this is his primary strategy to use words, deceitful ideas, deception, lies, accusations to make you believe a lie that is not true, that is contrary to the good news of the gospel. Now, this is a whole sermon for another day. As Christians, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ lives in us. We've been given a defense. There's ways that we can, we can, we can work against the enemy's schemes, truth, power, presence. That's a whole other sermon. 
But the scripture teaches that we battle lies with the truth, that Christ has empowered us by the Holy Spirit. When James 4 says, resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's because Jesus lives in us. The power of God lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have authority. Ephesians 6 talks about the, 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 the armor of God, right? That includes truth, right? So we have these tools. But at the end of the day, no matter, no matter how diligent we are, none of us is going to battle bat a thousand percent, right? No matter how diligent we are, no matter how tuned and aware we are, none of us is perfect. And we've all fallen to, to, to temptation. All of us are like Adam and Eve. We're all sinners. And all of us, sometime in the future, we're going to fall for the lies of the enemy and we're again going to fall away and we're going to fall into temptation. We're all sinners, amen? (laughs) And friends, this is why the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ is such good news. Maybe I should ask amen for that. You see, Jesus Christ, at the beginning of his ministry, he was also tempted by the enemy. In the wilderness, after 40 days of not eating or drinking, Jesus Christ was tempted by the enemy, and the enemy, the devil, threw everything Jesus' way. He played on every disordered desire that you can think of, and Jesus did not fall. In fact, he countered every temptation with the truth of the scriptures. And from there, Jesus Christ lived in perfect obedience to God the Father, And here's the thing. Jesus knew that there was only one way to rescue you and to rescue me from this path of destruction. Is that Jesus Christ would walk that path of death. And 2,000 years later, he carried a cross through the streets of Jerusalem. He bore the weight of sin and death and he defeated the enemy there. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that in Jesus Christ, the enemy has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. That we have victory. And friends, this brings us to this table that's in front of me. Because it's around this table that we gather every month to remember that Jesus Christ has defeated the enemy, has defeated the enemy's lies, has defeated the enemy's deception, and has defeated death itself when he died on the cross and rose again three days later. So we gather around this table to remember this gracious act of love. We gather around this table to remember that our sins are forgiven and that now Jesus Christ lives in each of us. When we partake in this bread and this juice, these real physical elements that we cannot deny that are there and they're true, just as real and true as those things are, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, dwells and lives in each of us. And because of that, the power of God, the presence of God, and the truth truth of God is with us. That gives us hope for today in the battles we face in this world, but it also gives us hope for eternity that there is nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth that can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. That's why we gather. Let's pray and let's prepare our hearts as we gather around this table as our worship teams come forward. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your word reminds us 
and acknowledges how difficult life is, how easy it is to fall away, how prone we are to wander. And Lord, it's so easy to, to point fingers at others, but Lord, your word acts like a mirror and we look at our own lives and we confess that we're broken and that we're desperately in need of what this table reminds us of, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the sacrifice, the res- and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive this good news, this sacrament, as a reminder of what you have done, as a reminder of the grace and love that has been poured out by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. pray all this in his powerful, mighty name. Amen. Just some brief instructions. We have two stations up front. After you're invited, whenever you're ready, please come forward uh, down the side aisles. Uh, You'll be handed a piece of bread, take a cup of juice, work your way around the outside. We remembered the trash cans this time so that you can partake at the table, uh, dispose of the cup there. For those of you who prefer, there's a gluten-free station uh, in the back. You can partake back there. Uh, If you're unable or prefer to stay at your seat, just raise your hand and someone will bring those elements to you. Is that clear? Good. Now, friends, we gather and remember the events of that final night of Jesus with his disciples. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he he took bread. After giving thanks to God, he, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. Friends, we gather to be reminded that the, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ were, were given for a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Thanks be to God. At this time, I'd like to invite our servers forward, and as they get prepared, um, you'll be invited to come as you feel ready.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I try to stand and start to fall All those lonely roads that I had traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground when the friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now There was Jesus There was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching In the healing and the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment of where I've been and where I'm going Even when I didn't know it, I couldn't see it There was Jesus For this man who needs amazing kind of grief Forgiveness at a price I couldn't pay so I thank God every day There was Jesus There was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching In the healing and the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces mountain in the valleys there was jesus in the shadows of the alleys there was jesus in the fire and in the flood there was jesus always is and always was Jesus. There was Jesus.